This podcast is for lesson one of the course titled Information Warfare and Strategy. These podcasts are required. This is so we can present scholarship and major debate flashpoints without hundreds of extra pages of extra required reading each week. These podcasts never replace lectures. Instead, they allow us to assign you the absolute minimum of required reading allowable at NDU. This course rewards deep reflection and thought and not an untenable breadth of books and articles. Please only ever listen to this podcast and only do the required readings. These supplementary optional readings are supplementary and optional for the course. You get no extra credit, no bonus points from doing the optional readings. I chose to add supplemental readings only for those students who have a personal passion on a topic or if the text may help you with your ISRP or your career. With the scarce time we have in the spring, I again recommend focusing only on the podcasts and required readings for this course. Also of note, each reading will be relevant for all the following lessons. We will come back to themes from Lesson one's readings from Anderson and from Strategicon throughout the course, for example. This course has a learning narrative that builds on each previous lesson. This is not a series of disparate lessons. This is not a lecture series. No lesson stands alone. The course is far more than the sum of its parts. The three major outcomes for each lesson, for each reading, for each exercise, for the assignment, and for the course writ large are as follows. One, strategic and creative thinking. This is our priority. This includes asymmetric, independent, creative, and conducting logical analysis. This addresses the first part of the NDU mission statement. That is, and I quote, NDU educates joint warfighters and other national security leaders in critical thinking and the creative application of military power. I might argue that we should open our aperture to create more ways and combinations of ways to challenge the idea of finite means. Our competitors and adversaries certainly are thinking of creative and subtle ways. It's subversion, exacerbate, exacerbating existing societal schisms, malign influence, and informor, information warfare every hour of every day. So we must at least think on how we can creatively, holistically, and enduringly collapse subversion, subterfuge, and sabotage with our all-important values of truth, trust, and transparency. Second outcome, win wars. Specifically, this addresses the last section of the NDU mission statement, that is, to prevail in war, peace, and competition. When I say win wars, I mean in a literal sense, but also, hopefully, this will be more figuratively. That is, to deter adversaries to collapse malign influence at its root, to defeat enemies in hybrid and irregular and political warfare, and to prevail in competition, which sometimes means not playing in the competition game at all, or making up our own rules to collapse competitors by their own mistakes under their own weight. We should never, ever fight fair. Information strategies and statecraft can be similarly applied at all levels of warfare, from stabilization missions to conventional and even to nuclear warfare.
Third outcome is this education is also for immediate professional development. This is collateral learning for each lesson. So as you study persuasion, as you study influence, as you study strategic communications, we challenge ourselves to become more effective and influential communicators ourselves within our organizations. As we study narrative, we become more effective writers and briefers. DC is a graveyard of great ideas, poorly communicated, and a garden of terrible ideas, well communicated. We hope this course allows us to become even better communicators of great ideas and let the charlatans rot. What this course is not, these are two warnings. I think this is going to be helpful, especially in your readings this week and preparation for lesson one. The first warning of what this course is not. This is not a survey course only focusing on the traditional government lines of operation of the information domain. This course exists to challenge us to become better and more effective strategists, to use the lessons directly into any and every strategy recommendation, planning session, mission order, and campaign execution. Information is no longer only relegated to certain offices or an appendix. You, each student, are responsible for appropriate use of information in all strategies throughout your career and in setting an example and educating your peers and commanders. This is not an I.O. course, I.O. meaning information operations. This is not training for a diplomatic or military occupational specialty. This is not training at all. Now, if you want to take an I.O. course, that is an operational or tactical coordinating function, we can recommend a number of training programs offline and off, or online and off. Furthermore, I will make a claim that you are welcome to push back on. I will put forth a supposition for you to consider for your debate. The supposition is that some of the greatest influence, persuasion, and information campaigns of the 20th and so far the 21st century, were initiated by great strategists. Those outside traditional information, tactical, and operational roles, such as public affairs, civil affairs, psychological operations, public diplomacy, information operations. Great leaders would be wise, of course, to use these vital professionals for advice and planning and to implement information strategies. But the body of the work was initiated or even conducted by non-information specialists. Instead, they're executed or at least overseen by strategists who understand that influence and persuasion can be key to some strategies. Also keep in mind that there is no Superman. There is not some stealthy office of some floor in some building doing influence and information warfare. Ask 10 people in D.C. and you'll get 300 answers on the composition and disposition of information offices, agencies, and responsibilities. J39s, J5s, JIWIC, SOCOM, CYBERCOM, maybe a future USIA 2.0. None will come to your rescue. These coordinating elements may be important, even vital, and not coordinating, them, not coordinating with them will be very detrimental. But you bear the responsibility of information warfare as a central art of strategy making writ large. The weight is on your shoulders. 
Examples, as we'll go over in the course, Marja between 2009 and 2011. The U.S. and Vatican support to Poland solidarity between 82 and 89. The almost complete shutdown of all Confucius Institutes in the United States in under a year. Yes, in each case, public diplomacy, public affairs, and intelligence communities played central vital roles. But the initiators, the vast majority of operators, and game-changing trailblazers were those with backgrounds in operations, as well as lawmakers and policymakers advised by non-information specialists. Second warning for the course, and to help prepare for lesson one. In the last two decades, many authors and talking heads, without experience, without research, have made fallacious claims without merit and logic that may distract from the study of strategy and information. Popular books and opinion articles litter the information environment the world round. For example, there's a common misperception that disinformation and mass persuasion were used to, quote-unquote, dupe Germans under the Third Reich, or, quote-unquote, to dupe citizens in democratic and constitutional republics to vote against their best interests. Or that disinformation alone, known throughout history as lying or the spreading of lies, is itself creating societal divides and political tribalism. Or the misconception that you can send out a series of well-crafted tweets by themselves to change people's opinions and actions. Overwhelming amounts of data, evidence, and peer-reviewed studies do not support these claims. In popular media, at least, they seem to be built or these ideas of mass communication or mass persuasion being effective seem to be built off of fallacious hysteria. The complete misinformation on misinformation in mass media is upsetting. Now, in the early 50s and 60s, the last century, there were some interesting but fallacious theories about messaging and propaganda and disinformation as being effective tools. But since then, thousands of independent, repeatable, and repeated studies on six continents collapse these fallacious claims that propaganda in the ether has any chance of success. Everything we know about history, neuroscience, anthropology, psychology, and more flies in the face of today's popular claims that are, for some reason, a throwback to post-World War II editorials. Even today, we can go to many conferences on disinformation in which talking heads base their suppositions on psychological studies done in the years after the Second World War. We've already had this at CIC. Studies in which the only participants were North American, wealthy, well-educated, in a controlled and trusting environment with trusted professors whose classes they were in, and with an agenda for wanting to play nice so as to get cash, to not get kicked out of the study, to be on the good list for inevitable follow-on studies, and to get good grades. Many talking heads' premises are built off of these deeply flawed experiments. There is a chasm a million miles wide between what is propagated by charlatan speakers in D.C., who suddenly and mysteriously became disinformation and influence experts the moment we pivoted towards great power competition. A chasm between pseudoscience and unsupported platitudes versus how information warfare 
actually works. Now on to the readings. The Renatus and Augustus reading readings of Tradecraft include thoughts on influence, information, on the unorthodox and non-traditional and indirect approaches to political warfare and war, all often associated with the information instrument of national power. Now, I want us to challenge ourselves to think how some of these principles might apply today. Or do revolutions in information technologies make these tenets useless or something in between? Now, the text that is translated into English as concerning military matters was likely written before 450 AD. It was influential through the Middle Ages and even through the 19th century in Europe. It was often required reading at military schools. This is part of mainstream military education. Maxims are expanded upon and translated and interpreted into Greek in Strategicon in the 6th century. Strategicon influenced Byzantine leaders and may also include lessons from the Balkans and from Persia. So keep that in mind when you do that reading. The Anderson reading is quite different. This is contemporary scholarship that focuses on the evolutions of use of language and information environments that help to both build and undermine nations and empires. This reading is intended to challenge us to think how information warfare's nature and character evolves or perhaps remains unchanged. How would Renatus and Augustus apply their principles if they had lived through Anderson's description of history? And more importantly, how might someone centuries in the future from now apply Anderson's analysis of history to their contemporary times? Thank you.